Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. I'm John. And I'm Stuart. How are you, Stuart? I'm fine. How are you, John? I'm <laughs> not too bad. I'm not too bad. Feels like it's ages since we've been doing this. Yeah, it feels like weeks and weeks and weeks since we were talking about all those potholes and road defects. <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah. And that will be a hard act to follow because if I don't say so myself, I thought that was a pretty good podcast. That was a great podcast and it seems to have been very well enjoyed by those who've listened so far. We've had a, a lot of new followers and listeners come in on the yeah. back of it as well. So that's good. It's always a positive. You know, we like talking about things that people can relate to and potholes are sadly one of yes, those things. Sadly they are. <laughs> sadly. Yes. But anyway, this time on this episode, what have you got to talk about to follow up yeah, on that? Yeah. Okay. So we've been talking a lot recently about subjects that we can discuss in detail and, and mm. we were looking at what we had covered, what we hadn't covered. And it suddenly dawned on me that in the three, four years we've been doing this, we hadn't actually discussed the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study in any great detail. Okay. Now We've referred to that. Oh yeah, many times. Um, and and we've, we've spoken to someone who had even modelled it to see if mm-hmm. it worked still with you know congestion and, and traffic flows and the like. But we've never actually discussed how the report came about, uh, what it found and what it recommended and, and how it shaped things, mm-hmm. basically how it shaped transport policy in the west of Scotland now, for you 50 use, years. Yeah, you used the word transport policy, yeah. not roads. No, it's transport. And, and it's a report that is about all modes of transport. So could this be our first proper almost public transport oriented yes. podcast? Indeed. So some something different for anyone there who's listening think, oh, these guys are going to dust off some old books. Yeah, and you know, we have... Look, we have been encouraged to do this one because there has been a lot of talk recently about future roads and 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 and, and what role roads are going to play going forward. Course, yeah. and, and and there's a lot of incorrect information out there with regards how the system of transport we have, particularly the road network, came about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's right that we tell the story of how everything came to be, and maybe surprise a few people, you know, with some of the insights on public transport planning and and how they were all considered against. You know, car ownership as well. Of course, yeah. Um, because there is a bit of a narrative that 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 you know that's that's being played out at the moment that that implies that everything the city did in the sixties was was aligned with private travel. But really, when you dig into this report, you see that that's actually not the case. Not the case. And, and no. I think it, I think people will be interested to hear that. Actually. I think they will. I mean, I've seen your notes for yeah. for what you're going to discuss today, mm-hmm. and I think it's very interesting, very illuminating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on on the the synergy between the different modes of transport. Yeah, and I've got a few hardback reports here. We're back to the old school reports, so that's that's good too. Uh, I wasn't lying. He has dusted off yeah, some books. Yeah, some, yeah, and dusted <laughs> off was the word for some of them because it had been a good few years since I'd really taken you know real in depth looks at some of these reports. So, well, we've uh, got them all digitised. I know that's we? it. Yeah, so, yeah. so no, it was uh, it was good to do to do a wee deep dive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, GGTS as as it's referred to we widely, t- sir. All the time we say GGTS. There's a big map of it on your wall. Yes, there is in the archive office. We have a huge map of it showing the recommended networks, both highway and, and rail, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, it's fascinating to look at in detail. Now, for those who follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and the like, the, you'll see that we we created a new article on the web page the other day that actually has those maps available to look at, and you can now go on and zoom about and pan about and and have a look at the detail behind the junctions and the railways and all that sort of thing. That's something we'd wanted to do for a long time, mm-hmm. and it's now finally there. Um, so go on, have a look, www.glasgowmotorwayarchive.org forward slash ggts dash map, and that'll take you to the page. The full URL. Yes. That was great. <laughs> okay. So go on there and have a look, and, and that will help you to understand some of what I'm going to talk about 
on this podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So I, this is one of one of these podcasts where one of us does more talking than the other. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be listening to me a lot. Yeah, I'm just getting myself comfortable <laughs> here. That's not uh, bad. No, no, I I will be um, piping up. Yes. Well, uh, you have a good a good knowledge of the GGTS as well. I've, I've written about it. Yes. yes, and I've I've certainly read a lot of the reports so, and stuff. But I will, of course, with a lot of these things, are a lot of people who haven't done this. So I will often cross-examine and ask questions in a way yes. that maybe the listener be like, I would like Stuart to elaborate mm-hmm. on that, mm-hmm. or why is that? And that that's 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 good. And that's the voice of like. the people, Stuart. I keep saying this. Well, I couldn't comment on that at all. Okay. So, let's get into the origins then of the GGTS. So, as our listeners will know, in 1960, uh, Glasgow Corporation uh, commissioned a study into the design and construction of an inner ring road for the city centre. That later grew um, in scope to become a highway plan for Glasgow. Yeah, that's the most famous one. So that basically Mm. came up with a comprehensive plan for a new highway network across the city. And that was within the boundary of Glasgow Corporation as it stood in 1960. Now, the corporation and some of the the, the sort of local authorities, adjacent local authorities, so thinking Renfrewshire, Lanarkshire, the boroughs of Coatbridge, Motherwell, Wishaw, those sorts of areas, they saw what Glasgow Corporation were doing they also had access to money and funds to improve their road networks and other transport systems. And they started to commission their own studies. And because Scott Wilson Kirkpatrick had done such a good job with the highway plan, some of these constituent local authorities, who were all part of the Clyde Valley Planning Group at this stage, mm-hmm. started to use Scott Wilson as well for their own. So Rutherglen did, Motherwell did, you know, um, some other parts, you know, even Clyde Bank, the, something to do with the, the canal, Scott Wilson were involved in all that as well. And what the Scottish office, or the Scottish Development Department section of the Scottish office realised was, well, hang on here, all you guys are all doing your own thing, wouldn't it make sense if we had a single commission mm-hmm. that dealt with the entire conurbation? Yep, the whole area. Yep, and was led by a steering group made up of representatives from each of these local authorities, and it would make recommendations on a transport network for the conurbation for the next 30 to 35 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, Now, there was a huge drive towards regionalisation at that time. After the war, and we spoke about the, the Abercrombie report and some of the others, there was this drive to try and integrate planning and thinking across the conurbation. Rather than ultra-local planning and, and consideration, they wanted to open things up. Mm-hmm. So... What someone was doing in Motherwell could have an effect on Dumbarton, and you know, th- th- it was felt that it was yeah. it was in everyone's interests to work closely together, moving forward. So this drive for regionalisation was very much a big thing, and ultimately led to the creation of the regional councils in 1975. Yeah. Right. So in 1964, this commission got underway. A steering group was set up. It was chaired by the Lord Provost of Glasgow. The, the first guy was John Johnson, um, and it started its work just actually as the highway plan work was starting to conclude. Scott Wilson and Kirkpatrick, again, were one of the co-authors to this because they were really the only ones in the area who had the expertise. To it kind of made sense to have yeah. that consultant that's consistent because I always thought the GGTS is like this zoomed-out version of the the highway plan. And it is. You're right. You're exactly mm. right. Now, because of some of the other work that had to be done as part of this report. So the scope of it wasn't just to look at a highway network or proposals for a highway network or improvements to what we were Like had. the highway plan yeah. did. Mm. They decided they also wanted it to look at public transport and to get an understanding of how the networks were looking, how well they were used, and what they were likely to look like in the future. 
mm-hmm. as things developed. Now, there were plans, this regional thinking, uh, they knew that there was going to be an expansion of the conurbation and new housing built in satellite towns, you know, Castle Milk, Easter House, but even mm-hmm. further out in areas like Motherwell, Wishacote Bridge, where there was a lot of new council housing getting built. Cumbernauld. Yep. We had, yep. The, we had the new towns at Cumbernauld, we had Erskine coming, we had mm-hmm. East Kilbride already well established by this point, and we also potentially had the Stonehouse new town coming down the line as well. So they knew all these things were all happening, and they wanted this joined up plan to link it all together. Okay? Not it does, just from a it does make sense. View. It does, yeah. but not just from a roads point of view. Right. From a transportation point of view. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, the, the, the steering group itself, as well as being made up of councillors, also had the backing and the involvement of British Rail. Um, <clears throat> we also had the Clyde Port Authority. There was the Corporation Transport Department for the underground and the various local authorities, but also the Scottish Bus Group, who at that time operated the nationalised monopoly bus services like uh, Central Western and all the other, you know, old mm-hmm. bus services that we that These old organisations that you yeah. just don't hear of anymore. Yeah. Exactly. So, they were all involved in this. So the work began in 1964, as I say, just as the highway plan was starting to, to wind down. In fact, a decision, I think, was made early on that the work that Scott Wilson had done in Glasgow's road network wasn't going to be revisited. It was going to be more or less incorporated within the wider GGTS. Mm-hmm. And similarly, any of the advanced work that had already been done in Rutherglen or Motherwell, again, this was going to be integrated in, you know, within the report. So the point but changing was, things. Exactly. Yeah. But it was all going to come together and, and create this one grand plan. Now, this report, at the time, was the only one of its kind in in the UK. Uh, one of the first, I believe, in the world, actually, to be done in the way it was. And because it also looked at land use and population and education and where people were going to work and, and the like going forward, that wasn't really Scott Wilson's bag. That mm-hmm. They were great highway engineers and, 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 and they could make transport proposals. But in terms of population, you know, um, spread and all that sort of thing, they needed someone else to come in and assist with that. And that was when they brought in the American company, um, whose name I shall read to you from the from the front of the book. <laughs> and they were, in, they were a, a, basically an engineering architect company based in New York. And they were Tibbetts, Abbott, McCarthy, Stratton. Okay. Right, okay. Um, Tams, as they're referred to in the, in the report. Yes, because okay. uh, I I remember reading Tams yeah. quite a lot in yeah, there. Because yeah. so, I've always thought with these reports, they were they put a huge emphasis on population forecasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So at one point there was you know there was like a hundred staff employed just on the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study. They had their headquarters in Queen Street, um, in in Glasgow, in one of the buildings there, and they were conducting masses of work, because in the old days, of course, this was all before we had access you know access to computers and data you know mm. um you know, all the data had to be put in manually and on paper and collected and manually collect, yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> so to to get an idea of how people were traveling and how they intended to travel in the future and why they were going where they were going that all had to be done through surveys mm-hmm. so they would survey people in rail stations they would survey people at bus stops they would survey people at their homes they would stop taxis and ask them mm. questions. Commercial vehicles, roadside interviews, all these sorts of things were done over a period of a few years, so in three years, from 1964 to 1967, thousands upon thousands of surveys. Now, we actually have copies of some of the original survey papers. Yeah, we came, I remember yeah. when we found them. And it's yeah. got the free, still got the free post address uh, and, mm-hmm. and stamp on the front of it, and the people were supposed to fill it in and send it back. And it was basically asking them questions like, how often do you travel? Why mm-hmm. do you travel? Where do you go? Um, where do you go? Yeah. Um, what for? 
Uh, is it for work? Is it for leisure? Is it you know for any number of reasons? And and, and basically, th- this was all done, and it was all collated, and it was all fed in to try and prepare this plan. Okay, mm-hmm. so they had masses and masses and masses of data. They were making a lot of assumptions, and I mean, you look at volume one of the report, and and volume one basically was the the data aspect, the study right. aspect yeah. of the of the report. Plan uh, and forecast. Yeah, the, the, forecast. the current travel patterns was, mm. was, was volume one. And I, I suppose I should say that there were five volumes in total. Oh, we'll come on to that in a second. Then. But uh, the initial work was focused, as I say, primarily on determining what the existing scenario was and how that was likely to change going forward. So they did all these surveys, they brought it all together, and they actually came up with some really interesting figures. Things, I think, that surprised some people, particularly in the councils at the time. So they found that in 1964... That the proportion of people using bus services in Glasgow was utilised at something like 117% of, you know, based on its population. You know, so that's how many, you know, the proportion of people using the bus services available. Mm -hmm. And when you compare that with the large cities around the world, like Paris, London, um, Tokyo, New York and others, Glasgow was way, way, way in front in terms of bus patronage. So, just to get a bit of a thought on that, why do you think that bus patronage was, was kind of higher of a percentile for Glasgow? Because Glasgow had low car ownership figures right, at okay. that time, and there was a dependence on the bus, but also, we had a good bus service available. The corporation transport network mm-hmm. was particularly good, and I think as well, with the trams being you know taken away in 1962, the people who had used those obviously the trams switched to buses. Went off. I mean, there yeah. is, of course, other things are rail and underground yeah. and stuff like that, but quite limited, and, and so you're saying the bus service was actually quite decent. The bus service was decent, it was well used, and mm-hmm. crucially, it was anticipated that that usage would continue. You know, there was always going to be a, a dependence on bus services mm-hmm. in Glasgow and in the conurbation, because it was, it was demonstrated in areas like Paisley and Lanarkshire that actually lots of people depended on the bus to get about. You know, just for mm-hmm. local journeys and local trips. But I'm kind of putting myself at the at the state of the conurbation in terms of uh, its provision of road space at the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. is that actually buses work and are reliable at most when yeah. there's not you know there's not a lot of congestion. Well, that's right. And crucially, one of the things that the report found was that bus service reliability was hindered by congestion on yeah. local streets. I've, I've led you into that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So yep. anywhere where we had a major town centre um, and there was congestion on the existing streets. That mm. affected bus reliability. So morning, peak, evening peak services were particularly slow, and the Glasgow city centre services were also particularly slow, and mm. and that was one of the you know the driving factors behind the need to get through traffic because it was found in Glasgow city centre in 1963. It says in the report that 77 percent of the traffic on Glasgow city centre streets was through traffic, mm. had no business in the city centre at all. Yeah, it but, was somebody going all the way, going for, even from Edinburgh yeah. and things like but that. But the nature through. of the conurbation, <laughs> as we've discussed many times, is because you've got hills to the north, hills to the south. If mm. you want to go east to west, you have to go basically have to go through the middle of the conurbation to get out the other end. Mm-hmm. So you had to go through the city, and that's why all our major trunk roads and some of the other busier air roads all converged either mm-hmm. in or very close to Glasgow. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this is an argument against the orbital, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yes, you can build those things, but it, it would be quite difficult to do. Yeah, exactly. So that, that all factored into plans, okay? So so that's volume one. So what they did was in volume two, they took all the all the various proposals that they had, you know, they'd come up with, population, people using transport and the like, and started to devise the future plan. Now, mm-hmm. I mentioned a bit earlier, and I should make the point now that there were five volumes of the report produced in total. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so volume one was the current situation as it was at that time. Volume two was the actual forecast and plan. You know, what should what should we do? When should we do it? And how? Um, volume three was basically all the data that they had collected. You know, the survey results and the findings. That is not really one that's worth looking at. It mm-hmm. really is just reams of data. Then, as things started to move forward, one of the key points about this whole plan was it was designed to adapt to the changing situation. Okay, so basically, this, they they appreciated that the situation in nineteen sixty five would not perhaps be appropriate in nineteen seventy five or nineteen eighty five. They recognised mm-hmm. that, and rather coming up with a rigid plan that told that said you must do this based on that information by this was, year. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. it was designed in such a way that it would adapt to the changing economic situation or the employment situation or anything. So what was ultimately being built was adequate for yeah. that particular time mm-hmm. rather than how it should have been in 1965. Got a pragmatic quite, way of, of looking ahead at of it. Time. And I assume by this logic, we still use the GGTS today for our <laughs> transport planning. <laughs> we'll come on to that later. Right, <laughs> okay. We will come on to that later. So that was the, re- the main reason. So that there were reviews of the plan done. So the first review came in 1971 and we had volume four which was planning for action. So basically, it was taking the, the, the plan from 1968 and actually putting it in a, a plan. How are we going to build this? What are we going to build first? And this is where it started to weigh up all the options and, and do the cost-benefit analysis and value-for-money exercises and things to determine what things should be built first and why. So there were a number of schemes that came out of that. But I'm going to come on to that in a minute. Um, the important thing to note here is that no particular mode of transport was prioritised over another. Which, that's interesting. Yes. Because when we think of these reports, we think all these big blue lines Mm -hmm. on a map going, oh, look what they could have built. Yeah. So, in 1971, when when they were planning this, at that time, we we had a committed highway network. Mm -hmm. But it only contained the M8 route from west to east through the city. Like what we've got now. Yeah. Aspects of the so the Clydeside Expressway and various other bits and bobs, they were all committed schemes, M74 coming in, you know, past Hamilton Bypass, Renfrew Bypass and the M8, the A8 improvement from Bailson to Newhouse, you know, dual carriageway, heading for the new M8 that was being built to the east, the M73, so the, the base network was committed at that point, but that was really all we had. So that forecasting plan started to look to the next stages of that, okay? So let's get target one finished, what bits do we build next? And they also had a committee transportation, public transportation network as well. They knew there were certain things that they wanted to do. The beaching cuts had come in 1964. But in Glasgow, they actually found that between 1960 and 1965, the numbers of people using the train service in the conurbation had increased by 75%. Well, huge increase. And I, guess, was, I guess kind of the beaching cuts missed the mark somewhat in Glasgow yeah, in that case. And that was pretty much down to the fact that we were introducing suburban electric services mm-hmm. because they were becoming much more reliable and more frequent and the fares yeah, you were reasonable. You weren't coughing away with steam and diesel yeah. fumes in a low-level yeah. station, yeah. Exactly. exactly. So a number of the things that had actually been closed as part of the beaching cuts, thinking of the low-level route through Central Station, uh, thinking the branch to Renfrew, Kirkintilla, mm-hmm. places like that, they were saying, well, hang on a minute here. We actually are showing that there's massive increases in, in rail usage in the conurbation. There's a demand there. We should reverse these closures and, 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 and potentially build new stuff as well to accommodate people who wish to travel into the central area by train. Mm-hmm. So that all starts to factor in to the future reports as well. Okay, I'm going to come back to the actual recommendations and, and, and the 
bits that came out of volume two in a minute but that plan there in volume four they were really starting to grasp at this and say this is how we need to move forward and interestingly enough the the, the within volume four they knew at that point that there was going to be a regional transportation executive formed which later became you know Strathclyde Transport yeah. Greater Glasgow uh, passenger transport executive as it was initially then Strathclyde Transport and of course to the ASPT so the, the GGTS was pushing them towards a regional transport executive. Mm-hmm. Um, there were further volumes that came along. So we had 4B, which focused on the Glasgow Corporation Transport Underground recommendations that also came out in 1971. Gives you an indication that they knew the underground needed a lot of work at that point. Because yeah. let's be honest, it was pretty much still in its original form at that point. Almost entirely, yep. Yep. And then we, we finished off with Volume 5, which was the Transport Investment Programme, which was to cover the period 1978 to 1985. That came in 1974. So that was basically the, the, the last report they did. When the new councils were coming in in 1975, they basically said, right, okay, there's no need to have this continuing, you know, Greater Glasgow Transportation Studies Steering Group Executive, because these regional councils are going to be so huge. Strathclyde's going to be massive. We're going to have the Passenger Transport Executive will deal with all the public transport proposals. And... The regional council itself can deal with the highway proposal and that was yeah. intended to be future and that's exactly what happened we'll come on to what happened thereafter later taking us back to volume two pulling all this together making recommendations <clears throat> as i said public transport wise it was felt it was important to keep it or retain it as an attractive prospect for people so what right. the report envisaged was so first of all their main justification for the new network of roads and highways, right? Aside from increasing numbers of vehicles on the road, okay, the existing network was, was congested, particularly in the, in the busy town centre areas, but connections across the corner basin were poor. Now, that's not just for private transport, that's for commercial goods and commercial vehicles. Yeah, because it's not, it's not just private transport that uses roads. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So, the main justification for the road system, for improvements to the road system, were getting traffic off of local streets, and to improve reliability, journey times, accident rates, and the like. Mm-hmm. But that then would have the effect of improving the reliability of the bus services. And they could then it's introduce... kind of what I touched on earlier. Yeah. yeah. They could introduce bus priority measures. They could pedestrianise streets. Mm-hmm. Make them safer for people. Yeah. Environmental improvement. Yeah. yeah. So that was, the, you know, that was the main crux of what they were getting at there. I see that, yeah. And... Um, it's interesting you touched on rail and i'm sure there's people that if they're into roads are probably into rail as well yeah. but there's all kinds of interesting things in these reports of, of what could have been with that oh, as yeah. well so what they envisaged was a was a multimodal fully balanced transportation system for the Between western roads Scotland. buses and trains and trains so what you would do is if you if you lived in say you lived in Blantyre in south Warwickshire okay right or you lived say two, three miles from the train station. Now, Blantyre mm-hmm. had a good suburban rail connection to Glasgow. Yes. If you wanted to work in Glasgow or shop in Glasgow or go out in Glasgow, what they envisaged was there would be a very good feeder bus service that you could get on in your local housing estate or new housing scheme being built by the council. That would take you to the railway station. Take you to the railway station and you could then get the train into Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And for people who worked in the city, or for people who were shopping in the city, or people who didn't have access to car, they said, that's what we need. And we need to keep that attractive and mm. cheap and accessible for people. Okay? What they also realised and recognised was that more and more people were starting to work a bit further away from their home. 
mm-hmm. and the point is made in the report that as the traditional industries close and things move forward into the service sector and, and they already you know they knew that was happening with the new developments at Linwood and in West Lothian mm-hmm. and in other places at that time the days of having the skilled laborers, uh, laborers and the workforce living a few hundred yards away from the, from the factory or from the shipyard, those days were coming to an end. Yeah. If they wanted the skilled labor to get to these new factories... You'd have were, to travel have to miles. travel to get there, exactly. Mm-hmm. Across the city. Yeah. And yeah. In, the cases, in cases like that, they recognized that travel by private car was probably going to be the most attractive option. Well, the cars were up and coming. Yes. At that point in the 60s and 70s. Yes, you know? exactly. The other thing they tried to do was design a system that catered for what the situation would potentially look like in 30 years' time. Mm-hmm. So they were looking at what the population and the traffic flows and, and the like would be in 1990. It was then later revised to the year 2000 as things moved on mm-hmm. because there was no point designing a road network that would accommodate 1965 levels that's, of traffic. That's something we need to, we need to emphasize, yeah, yeah. Is, is it's forecasting, as you say, right up to the year 2000, yeah. you know, which actually is, is quite unheard of in a lot of ways now with, with transport. They don't, they don't look so far no. ahead, but back then they did. They were, yeah. Actually, we're going to have to make this work for the next 40 years. Well, that's yeah. it. I mean, they were spending the equivalent of you know hundreds of millions of pounds today uh, on on new roads proposals and, and and transport proposals, and they, there would be no point in building something that was only going to work for five years because they knew that the growth in, in more traffic was was going to mm-hmm. be huge, and and likewise even for for the movement of goods and and, and the movement of goods was coming off the railways, mm-hmm. you know. So although, although we were saying in Glasgow that you know, passenger traffic was increasing, it should be noted that freight traffic on rail had gone through the floor as it had switched to HGVs on, on the roads. Exactly. You know? And again, with these new developments in places that weren't near traditional railway lines, like Linwood and West Lothian and Hunterston and places like that, mm-hmm. they, they didn't all have great access to rail. You yeah, know? because that's one of the things, in the UK in general, right, if we look at the, the, the railway network, a lot of it, the network was built in kind of Victorian times. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's quite rare we build a brand new railway line on a completely mm-hmm. new alignment. You had all this stuff there. Yeah. But of course, when you're building a new town, as you say, you actually yeah. don't. And these developments, and, and new town developments in particular, um, led them to focus on this, you know, the, the passenger aspect of rail travel mm-hmm. and, and propose, as I mentioned earlier, reopening some of the beaching acts lines, retaining others, opening new stations that had never existed before and actually proposing some other rail schemes that that mm-hmm. they, they felt would make a big difference so thinking about some of the things in, in in volume two that they recommended so the kilmacomb line that ran from greenock to paisley mm-hmm. um, which would have gone by i think that goes i mean it's still there but it's not open obviously yeah. then it went to bridge away and went to eldersley that's right yeah this service now would be so beneficial yeah now you i know, believe a- that service only closed in the 1980s Mm. And, but it had been a fight, I believe, to keep it open for years. I know there is a campaign group around yeah. there who really, really want that open so again. Even in this report, they were saying then this route should be maintained. Mm-hmm. The Paisley Canal line was yes. another one that they were saying should be reopened. It had only recently closed at that stage. That's right. It reopened in the 90s, I think so, yeah. Yep. Yep. Strathclyde Transport reopened that one. Mm-hmm. They also recommended the, the branch line to Renfrew being reopened mm. because... Renfrew was, was going to be building Renf- a lot of new houses. Exactly. Renfrew didn't have a railway station. Yeah. Kirk and yeah. was another one that had lost its branch line. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to reopen that. Interestingly, Crossrail gets its first mention in this report. Because so as they far knew, back as, what, 1967, yeah. they were talking about Glasgow Crossrail. Yeah, because they knew the Enoch station was closing and the Buchanan station were closing. 
they wanted to consolidate everything in Queen Street and Glasgow Central. Mm. So a good way of, of allowing services from the south to connect to the north without having to go via these which stations. Is a, which is a criticism at the moment. Yes. Yep. Yep. So Crossrail, as we now know it, was first mentioned in this mm. report. And a number of an, a huge number of new stations were proposed, actually, some of which have happened, some which haven't. So the, the most high-profile one, I think, that I found that hadn't happened was uh, Bifeswood Square. Oh, yeah. not a place you'd think you'd have a no. station. So they recommended a station there, but then there was a lot of offices in that part of the, the right, city okay. centre. Um, you know, so Bifeswood Square was recommended to have a station. Um, the connection at uh, the market building yes well that was going to be part of the crossrail scheme yes because so there glasgow is a cross yeah. glasgow well there's uh, there's a railway line that's still there to this mm-hmm. day and yep. it was a city union line or something like that but they use that for moving rolling stock just yep. now it's yep. not but that is a perfect example and i believe that the latest crossrail plans when i say latest by the way there's an asterisk next to that <laughs> um they, they've been around for a while is that they would use that by the market bill that that is interesting yeah so that was going to going to link in with the reopened glasgow central low level mm-hmm. which was also a key part of this proposal that's right which we know now as the argyle line that's right yeah Sitting alongside all this, they had a proposal to upgrade the underground. Mm. Now, not to expand the underground, just to modernise modern the underground. Get rid of the Victorian era yeah. type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, have passenger hubs at places like Partick and St Enoch and you know, yeah. all these areas which, which were Street. close to other major modes of public transport. Mm-hmm. So that all came about as a result of this as well. So basically what we ended up with was a report that recommended a whole load of new roads mm-hmm. for various reasons. An expanded rail network for obvious reasons, and a bus system that was considered reliable for local journeys and for also connecting people to other modes of public transport. Yeah, I mean, just to talk about buses for a second, uh, we talk about these feeder systems, but mm-hmm. I seem to remember looking into the bus um, services there, but they, they also looked at a number of new, brand new bus hubs and stations yes. in and around Glasgow as well, which... You know, there used to be a bus station in Anderston, but yep. they're not. Was that maybe something that came yes. out of that on Buchanan bus station there? Yeah, so I think the Anderston bus station certainly was, was mentioned. That replaced the old, was it the old Waterloo Street bus station? Or, mm. or, or um, what's the other one down there? Um, Bovel Street. There was, Street. There was an old bus garage down there, I believe, that the Anderston one replaced. That certainly referenced in, in the report. Mm-hmm. Um, also, other bus stations in places like East Kilbride and Hamilton and places like that. I mean, I actually forgot to mention as well that express bus services are are mooted as being uh, something that should be introduced. So when you say express bus, you mean like a coach that goes yes. in the motorway? So an interurban bus service. And the, the, mm-hmm. the main ones they speak about in there are like Erskine and Paisley to Glasgow, Cumbernauld to Glasgow, East Kilbride to Glasgow, Motherwell to Glasgow, Coatbridge mm-hmm. to Glasgow. But crucially, these would all utilise the motorway network. Because ah, they right. would become a reliable service for people. Just like the bus yeah. you used to go to work That's when right. you used to go to work. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was you know, it was said that people who maybe didn't have access to the car or who didn't want access to the car mm-hmm. um, would be able to use if they weren't near a rail station or they didn't want to use a feeder bus, they it would have access to buses. express buses as well. But they but a new road network was crucial for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now it has to be you know, we have to state again that and this is something we're asked about a lot, that the road system itself, and if you go on the webpage and you have a look, the the, the ultimate road system was really quite extensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Looking at it now. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it had a number of ring roads and radials, right. and it was designed basically to link up every corner of the conurbation to maximise economic benefit. Mm-hmm. So someone in Mulgai could go to work in Hamilton 
and get their quick win effectively by Goods could move around freely. There was a lot of redundancy built into the system. So if that was closed or there was an incident there, you could take this other spoke or, you know, uh, part of the ring to go somewhere. Exactly. It was all about ultimately improving communications across the conurbation. I like that word. And the, the rail system and the bus system were going to be an equal and important part of that. That's it. They weren't just tagged on. No. You know what I mean? So no. um, that's it. Exactly. And I, I wonder, it's something, I, I, it's been a while since I've, I've looked at the uh, GGTS, but I, I wonder if Park and Ride was ever thought of or came out of yeah, some of that, these things. That, that's, that's a, that is a good point, actually. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you've mentioned that. Because I wasn't in your notes. No, yeah. that wasn't in my notes, and it probably should have been. That, right. Yes, there is a mention of Park and Ride. Not Park and Ride as we know it, but mm-hmm. what they did say was that some of the stations had space available where parking provision could be introduced mm-hmm. so that people could park at the station so rather than use the feeder bus service you could park there and yeah. then and then take I'm, the train in to, I, to work. I am a massive fan of park and ride because i mm-hmm. see it as the solution yeah in a lot of ways to getting um traffic out of towns because yeah. people aren't going to give up their cars entirely because yep. they need to use them on the weekend and they're locked yeah, yeah. into a five-year deal paying 400 pound yeah. a month yeah so you can still use your car and then you can go to this station, you can park for free mm-hmm. and then you can use whatever service to go and it works well in Edinburgh. Yeah. Now this is the other thing that comes in into the report. Mm-hmm. There was no unconstrained allowance for traffic growth. No, and okay? they acknowledged. It's acknowledged in the report. Yes. That the network as proposed would be it. Mm-hmm. No widening, no expansion. Mm-hmm. That's what the conurbation would get. Now, to temper the amount of people using cars to go into the central area in particular, this is where the proposal came for restrictions on parking. So prior to 1965, when on-street parking controls came into Glasgow, there was something like 50,000 curbside spaces or something available across the entire city. Mm -hmm. They knew that they had to reduce that and control that. So by bringing in the parking meters and stuff and and encouraging only short-term stops at the curbside, they introduced the parking garages, as they called them, multi-story what, what car we parks. call multi-story yeah yep. they introduced a number of those around the periphery of the city center the mm. theory being you would come off the motorway and that's where you would stop you would not drive there would be no need for you to drive into the city center i think was it was the highway plan did it not did that not moot a lot of yes, this too it and it was just expanded yeah. upon by the exactly. gts yeah, yeah exactly and if the ring road had been completed in various other parts of the system you would have had a network of parking garages and mm. multi-story car parks all the way around the city center two in the south three in the east you know, the, the two in the north we have already, you know, Cook mm-hmm. Gardens and, and uh, Concert Square, and then the two in the west, you know, Cadogan Street and uh, Charing Cross. And mm-hmm. th- these things were all being, you know, brought in to discourage people from driving in. But it's stated in the report, it's interesting, that they say that if you're going to keep your public transport networks and links to the city centre viable and attractive, you need to introduce controls. The parking rates have to be at a level that make it less attractive to, you know, to drive, to drive park, than it would yeah. be to use public transport. As you can imagine a bus not being able to stop anywhere yeah. and, or blocking the road yep. and everything. Although interruption now, yeah. they like that. But so, back then, they want... Yeah, yeah, they did not build the motorway system so people could drive to work in Glasgow City Centre. Mm-hmm. That's simply not the reason it was built. It was to improve connectivity about the entire conurbation. Mm-hmm. So they never wanted people actively to be, be commuters into the city centre mm-hmm. in particular, you know. It was never really about that. The public transport element was always the preferred modes for the city centre. And that then fed into the decision-making that came down the line. 
So as we moved into that volume four era in the early 70s and they started making decisions about what to build next, mm -hmm. okay? So early on, they made the decision that the Argyle line was going to reopen, as mm -hmm. we know it. They were going to electrify more of the, the rail network, the airline, the Reams Bay line, East Kilbride, all these other things. They were going to do all that as well. I think we're still working on East Kilbride, yeah, we but um, we, yeah. we've managed, and even Paisley Canal's been yeah. electrified now, mm -hmm. yeah. So they were going to electrify more lines, mm -hmm. okay? They were going to build the road system. And uh, they were also looking, obviously, at improvements to, to the bus service. And the decision started to be made, and they started weighing them all up. So they had the committed road network, and they had the one or two transport proposals. So they started weighing up options against one another. And the ones that stand out for me are comparing the upgrade of the underground against the Maryhill motorway. Right? right. And the decision was that the underground modernization would go ahead first mm -hmm. as a priority because of the benefits that would come back from that. And to ensure well, that the, remained viable. The thing with the underground, fantastic booking out, I know you've read it, is that it was the service and the quality of it, because mm -hmm. it was so run down, ridership yep. was actually dropping yes. on it. And it, a lot of the, sta the stations that, that were, were there were servicing industry that was no longer there, and a lot of the tenements were being removed from areas, mm -hmm. particularly Kinning Park and areas like that. Yeah. And they knew that they had to tweak it to, to keep it viable. Yeah. you know going forward absolutely so, they moved one state i mean partick stations actually being moved that used to be called yeah. merkland street That's and right. it's just around the corner or to something. create that new transport hub yeah if you, if you look out the window of the the subway train when you go by you can still see the old station chamber it's quite cool thought to put that little tidbit in there yeah but no the underground modernization is a good thing thank goodness we did get that and i know it's been on ongoing um there's a kind of an eternal upgrade mm -hmm. that's going yeah. on at the moment yep so we had a yeah. whole list of projects that they wanted to take forward as the as the as their second part. Now it was this is how things change and they change very quickly economically mm -hmm. and politically as we know now looking back. So when nineteen you know when volume two was published in nineteen sixty eight, basically the Scottish office told them that there would be the equivalent of fifteen billion pounds available for transport investment over the thirty five year period. Mm -hmm. Okay? So when they were proposing all these big schemes they assumed that the money was going to be available. So I think they said something like 465 million was going to be available for highways, 385 million was going to be available for public transport, and that was guaranteed over a period of time. Now, as we know, when the 70s came along, that was entirely upended. Yeah, early to mid-70s, yeah. that's right, because you had the oil crisis. Exactly. Now, things you know. never recovered from that. Mm -hmm. um, as we know now looking back so if 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 you're sitting in 1965 or 1968 and they say to you you've got 15 billion available over the next 35 years for transport we will guarantee it you go will away. you will go and fill yeah. your boots so that's when that's they're sitting and they're starting to plan ahead so that's why they were able to say comfortably we're going to do the underground first because of the maximum return and we'll come back to the mary hill motorway after 1978 yeah, because obviously we'll still want the mary hill motorway yeah. at that point and we'll still have the cash available exactly and likewise it was yeah. the same with the so the argyle line was balanced against the johnston bypass mm -hmm. and the springburn expressway yeah. and the first phase of the air and sterling motorways mm -hmm. and the argyle line was prioritized over it, it won all out. those yeah. so if you think oh you know what i really wish they'd done this and that on yeah. the road, then you wouldn't think you actually would come yeah. the cost of that. So, yeah, the underground modernisation got to go ahead mm -hmm. and went ahead. The Argyle line got to go ahead, went ahead. There was one or two additional roads things that did happen. Um, so obviously with the completion of the M8, we then had we had the Dumbreck Road connection, and one or two other wee bits of bobs. Yes, yeah, did go ahead. Like the first part of the M seventy seven. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and barely anything else really. Mm 
And by the time they had moved forward with the uh, the public transport proposals, yeah. then the regional councils came into being. The steering committee ceased to exist, but the financial situation had completely changed. And oh dear. public sentiment had changed regards road construction in some cases, particularly the urban sections That's right. of the motorway system. But what that had the effect of doing was, so they were conscious already that there were aspects of the motorway system that were proven controversial. And what they sought to do was, because they had this proposed network of roads, they could rebalance the system by building, say, the Northlink motorway or the Paisley-Motherwell-Cumbernauld motorway and provide some more radial routes and adjust some alignments. So you would still have had more road space available for the increasing traffic and for improving connections and the like, but perhaps reevaluating some of your other parts of the plan, like the east flanks yeah. of the ring road and the like. But because the financial situation had changed so much, that Strathclyde, when they came in, and I think they, they, they inherited something like 30 road schemes and a number of other public transport schemes, because the money wasn't available, they had to whittle that right down, and there was the vast majority of them were shelved. So I think like the Air Motorway, the M77, the M80 Stolen Motorway, mm-hmm. parts of the Springburn Expressway. Because uh, we didn't see a lot of this until the 90s, yeah, like the M80. The M74 so. extension, that would have been the Hamilton Motorway at mm-hmm. that time, the Crow Road Expressway, um, parts of Great Western Roads, uh, the North Link Motorway, the Lomond Motorway, the East Link, the South Link. These schemes were all shelved overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, they all went away. And likewise with the public transport. You know, although the, the passenger transport executive came in, they were initially happy because they had their guideline and the underground modernisation to work on and they knew that the air line electrification and the like was coming down the line. But eventually they started to realise as well that their grand plans for more and more weren't going to happen quickly or easily no. either. And I think actually it was really the 80s and the late 80s in some cases before they were able to start making some improvements. The Johnston Bypass <clears throat> yeah. and all these kind of things, the road improvements came thick and fast in the time of the early uh, late 80s, early 1990s. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the report itself, although it's never going to fulfill its original recommendations, mm-hmm. never going to get anywhere near it, both from either a roads pr- perspective or a, a public transport perspective, mm-hmm. it did still shape policy across the conurbation for basically for 50 years Quite forward thinking in a lot of ways you yeah. know the way they looked at public transit and other things now let's um i i, I know you you might have more to say on this but if we think about uh, say an equivalent study mm-hmm. that that one might do uh for for an area like this or maybe across an entire country um there is something in these newer studies which is very absent from the ggts and that's the whole active travel mm, thing yeah. so uh, we use a new term for this it's a new term i think it's called is it walking wheeling and cycling walking wheeling and cycling yeah. that's it uh and that's all about you know and that's built in with with climate and green and all and this health kind of, as well and health yep, yep. of well-being of people because yep, it's yep. healthier to go out and cycle and, and this the, and that I, so was there anything like that you ever came across because all i found was the word environment was mm-hmm, used mm-hmm. but it, it meant a different thing back then yes. it wasn't about a green thing it was you know, improving the area and people could walk to the shops and do this because new towns in particular had a big thing about yes. having people walking about freely you're right and pedestrians and cyclists in particular do get mentioned in the reports but cyclists get mentioned yes yeah but only about improving the situation for them from an accident point of view from a safety point of view right i see it wasn't about providing it for safer health reasons as like we say today encouraging people to cycle because it's 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 you know more climate friendly Mm. or it's better for your for your well-being and for your health no obviously no 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 mention of that at all Mm -hmm. they were more concerned about providing new routes for people that were safer that were taking you away from cars the main way they were going to achieve that was by getting cars off local roads 
and onto these new limited access motorways. Mm-hmm. Alexandra Parade is probably the best example. Yeah, because you've got the Monklands. When the M8 motorway opened, yep. Alexandra Parade emptied. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, it was the main route to Edinburgh from Glasgow. It's now a cycling paradise. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I suppose really looking coming 50 years 60 years later they have kind of allowed for it because the road system by taking the traffic away from the city centre and some of the residential areas it's allowing Glasgow to take forward proposals like the avenues and things like that mm. because are, that, that, that would be a pipe dream if you didn't yeah. have the M8 yeah I know you I know, know what I mean because the so, mm. because 77% of traffic in the city centre in 1960 was through traffic yeah. Take the motorways away. That's not going to change. Things are still moving about this the conurbation. The there, there, there is this, this thing. Uh, I, I know there. Have, you mentioned this at the beginning. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, uh, w- how we're going forward with trans. What place roads and motorways have? Now, can I just tell you, there is a phenomenon that some people quote as this traffic evaporation. Mm. Um, it's ridiculous. That is not going to happen. I mean, if you were to shut the motorways. Yeah. Because there'd be chaos not just for weeks but for years and it would economically stifle the city and also make a lot of these roads that were previously traffic free really unpleasant yeah, because so we do owe a lot to this in a way it's like you can only consider these options once you have actual measures in place to reduce demand and reduce the amount of vehicles on the road mm-hmm. so, you, so the, the way to do it is to say we'll get 20% traffic less traffic on the road mm-hmm. and there'll be various ways that you can achieve that that's when you start thinking about changing what you have built or what you have available. Yeah. You don't do that first and then just hope that it will make the problem go away because it won't. Yeah, and we're actually, you know, we're not there yet, you know, with a lot of that as well. Yeah. There's a lot of change and different things that we're going to come We've spoken about this before, about autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, and all kinds of measures, you know, that are coming coming uh, now more than future. You so, know? we're doing it that long. Th- this is a report that shaped transport policy for 50 years. Yeah. More than 50 years. But it wasn't perfect. And we've we'll discussed this before. My my criticism of it, and remember we spoke to John about this, mm-hmm. is it was just... It wasn't it was too ambitious because it had... It, it had the data to back it up, yeah. but they did get the population figures wrong. Yes. So they, you know, they assumed, I believe, an ultimate population in the conurbation of 3 million. Which we've not got no. now. They assumed you know, that city so. centre population, or Glasgow population, was going to remain somewhere around the million mark, which it dropped way, way, way off of. Because you all went quickly. to the new towns and exactly. people moved out of the city centre to, oh, nice new modern housing. The other thing yeah. apparently about it, and apparently all the surveys done in the same way across the UK and Europe and the world at the same time suffered from the same thing, that the data was not transferable into different situations. The way that they interviewed people and, and, and collected information was only valid for that particular situation at that particular time. Mm-hmm. It didn't really help them to predict things down the line so if they wanted to make changes in five ten years they would need to do a whole load of surveys again of course they did they couldn't adapt the data as part of the predictions and that's kind of where it fell down the population Mm. real population figures really did let it down where it did actually come out quite good on was the predictions of usage of the various forms of transport so it's Mm. rail projections are pretty spot on yes it's road traffic predictions are within a few percentage points of where they actually ended up in 1990. I think John Collins says in his book it's like 3%, mm-hmm. you know, of a difference. It's pretty good in that case. Um, but also the land use as well. So, you know, in terms of the role of some areas, obviously they assumed. And, you know, I, I was actually, I was when I read this, and you're reading it in, in this 1960s way. You have to. It's sad. <laughs> it's really, it's quite sad. Because now we're looking back 40 years on when they're talking about they assumed in, in the 1980s 
yeah. in volume two that there would be more jobs than there were people in the conurbation therefore more people would be traveling in to the conurbation from the east and from ayrshire and 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 elsewhere mm-hmm. and they would need transport to do that now 1980s glasgow mm-hmm. no there were not no, more jobs than we, there were people. the country was undergoing its yeah. its deindustrialization yes. to use a soft word for it at that point yeah yeah so there are things that the uh, because this optimism yeah. this 1960s optimism everyone's great everyone's going to be great forever now you know we've turned a corner we've come out yeah. of the war the world is a better place we're going to move forward we're going to we're going we to never drive quite Glasgow rekindled that did we no. you know so all that optimism died off very quickly in the early 70s and it's never come back and uh, it's a shame because the report really is of its time when you when you read yeah. the language and the optimism of it you know that yes we will have 50, the equivalent of 15 billion available for transport investment and this is what we're going to do with it you know <laughs> uh, and and the, the change in public sentiment toward particular sections of the motorway system aside let's be honest the east flank of the inner ring road is controversial building the paisley to hamilton motorway through rural south glasgow was never going to be controversial because it was all mm-hmm. through farmland and the like. Had they proposed that in 1970, nobody would really have batted an eyelid about that. Maybe they should have put their efforts into yeah. that the, rather than this east flank, which was yeah. never going to happen. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? So I think that their, their prioritisation of certain parts of the road system mm-hmm. was was probably a bit flawed. I think the, the, the emphasis should have been on some of these other radials first. Um, that's kind of why we've ended up with the corridor that, that we have now, but it's all filtered through the city because they, they, they... And I suppose, really, when you, in fairness to them, they were providing roads in the busiest places first. It yeah. made, they needed instant relief, the quickest relief to areas that they could find. Yeah, if we think know? about a lot of those areas in that kind of that, that southwest kind of corner of the the, as you say, conurbation or yeah. metropolitan area, you know, at the time, a bit smaller. Yeah, I, you know? I know exactly. So yeah. it's easy for us to say, oh, we really need that Paisley Hamilton Cumbernauld motor. Yeah, but back then, then maybe maybe no, it wasn't the case. They, yeah. they, at that stage, had they built that at that stage, there would probably have been very little traffic actually using it. Yeah, you know. So you have to you have to put yourself, as we always say, you have to put yourself in the context yeah, of the, the time. time. You know. So one thing I'd say is, is be quite grateful for what you have in this situation <laughs> because you can end up in situations of other places which will not be mentioned mm. where none of the modes have been catered for particularly well or one yeah. mode has been very catered for mm-hmm. while others have fallen apart. Now, not every city is the same. Glasgow's had this kind of benefit from being quite an industrious place and mm-hmm. undergoing a lot of redevelopment that enabled the roads to come. Yes. You know what I mean? But be grateful on it, you know? I'm sure people will be, John. <laughs> so that, that's why I think there's a lot of people quite harsh about the MA and other things and so on. But, uh, you know... It is what it is. Yeah, so there was a lot, a lot of work done. It probably, mm. I, I reckon, and John Cullen was certainly of the opinion that it remained the largest single transportation study ever undertaken in Scotland uh, because it looked at all modes in all parts of the conurbation, both local authority and trunk road. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it looked at... It, there oh, was there no... loads of schemes in there. Yeah. And they, they reappear bobbing up now and again in, in the equivalent kind of Strathclyde reports. Mm-hmm. What's the, mm-hmm. what's the is it the TPP or whatever it is? Yeah. Or the, yeah. That's it, I've got Actually, it right, haven't yeah. I? Yeah. Transport policy priorities. So, yeah, yeah that, that came with Strathclyde where they just kind of lifted some of these out of there. 
Exactly. Do you think to this day, Stuart, do, do, do these books ever get dusted off at the people who pay grades a lot higher than us that maybe go, oh my goodness, yes, we should do something like that. There must be something that's the, still being mooted now. I think it's obvious but, that for uh, until at least the late 1990s that that was the case because there were people still employed in the local authorities and in, in the Scottish Who remember office, all this. Who knew that, that a lot of work had been done, groundwork had been done in this, and they would dust off certain proposals now and again and have a look at it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty obvious that the passenger transport executive of SPT Strathclyde used the groundwork done here to determine what they built when they were in existence mm-hmm. thinking of the Paisal Canal and the new stations mm-hmm. that, that it's also the, uh, the, the was it they called the Annie's is it Annie's Land Line or the, yeah. the Kelvin Line Kelvin Dale so there was a station there proposed. Mary Hill Line yeah. that's what it's called so that, that goes from this is all, line, in, yeah. it's all yeah. in this list you know I mean I've got there's, there's a list of new stations that were proposed here and I've put a marker here so some examples. Oh, an East Kilbride Town Centre train station. Well, that's never happened. But well, Strathclyde wanted to build one. Can I bring up the urban legend? No, don't bring that up again. <laughs> you brought that up before, have you? Because East Kilbride's station at yeah. the moment, the railway station, is quite far from yeah, the shop. Well, you you have is. to walk like kind of 10 minutes or something. But there is there is space allowed somewhere in East Kilbride for yeah. this station. We, we I read somewhere before, and it is out there somewhere, that when the shopping centre was built in East Kilbride, the yep. space was left below it to allow for a future rail connection. Mm. To now, whether or not that's a void yeah. or something, know, we'll never know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, any other new stations here? Milton, Motherwell South, well, that happened eventually as Airbles, Proven Mill, Red Road, uh, Red Stob Road. Hill, Trongate, that probably beca- that would have been... Trongate, that's yeah. right next to the cross, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Kirk and Tillich was a reopened. Kelvin Dale, that happened. Hawkhead, that re that reopened event. Yeah, Hawkhead's on the canal yeah, line. That's yeah. on the canal line. Blytheswood Square, Alexandra East. Yeah, there's there's tons in here. Bella Houston. You know, they mm-hmm. had they had a lot of a lot of proposals in, in here. Um you know, for that. So it, it's quite obvious that it did shape things, yeah. you know, going forward. And certainly it did on the roads, although they had to rework some it. Like the M seventy four was obviously eventually realigned. It was um, to, to cater for the fact the ring road was, was cancelled. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it, it, it's 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 an interesting read. I mean, we have got it digitised. The, the intention is that they will be available to read at some point in the future on the website. I'm sure people will appreciate being able to look at it in detail. Uh, all five volumes, you know, we mm. have all five volumes. We're quite lucky. And there were hundreds of technical memos produced. We've got excellent technical memos on the, uh, the uh, Shettleson Expressway, the Air Motorway, Stirling Motorway, Great Western Road Expressway, uh, mm-hmm. The first one that got cancelled, the Kelvin Dale Expressway, um, what's the ones in the south, Pollockshaws Road and the like, Clarkson Expressway, Kilmarnock Express. We've got all those technical mm-hmm. memos. We very grateful. Kilmarnock Express was very interesting yeah. because we, we came across that relatively recently. Yeah. And then with all the the cut and cover That's tunnels right, yeah. in it. Yeah. Glasgow City Council were clearing out an old depot, if you remember, a few years ago and got in touch. They said, We've got all these old technical memos here, we don't want them. They're going to the bench. Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. Straight in the scanner. Scooped them all up. So we've got all that as well. So we actually have access to a lot of the data as well and, and, and their, their considerations at the time. It's fascinating. Really so good. yeah, it's I hope people have found this interesting. It's been a bit talky been a bit heavy on details and you know the like next thing i think what we need to do is get one of those straws for you to drink out of so you can keep you can drink <laughs> and then you can keep talking at the same time exactly. you know because you have done a lot of talking yeah. but it's been really 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 informative so yeah um yeah uh, so the main thing i would i would say to people to take away from this the next time you hear someone saying that the 1960s was all about car provision 
Yeah, that might have been the case in some parts of the UK, but it most certainly was not in the Glasgow conurbation. Mm -hmm. Public transport was very well used in Glasgow and in its surrounding areas. They wanted to maintain that, and the car was supposed to balance against that finally. And indeed, as I've, as I've pointed out, actually some public transport uh, schemes went ahead over some of the road proposals um, yeah, as well. Do you know, just one right at the end, do you know why they didn't duel the A737 all the way down to Beeth and Go on, tell us that one, because that was a really good story that we get told on it that. Was, it was because of the, the upgrade and the electrification of the railway line. Yeah that got prioritised instead, actually we should do that, and that meant that the A737 past Kabarkin yeah. was single carriageway. Originally it was supposed to be duelled near enough all the way to Beeth, mm -hmm. but uh, when they decided, I remember I was being told that story, that they decided yeah. that they would enhance the bus service to the station, yeah. they built the, they electrified the line, so therefore they could justify only building the, the second half of the Kabarkin bypass, whatever it's called, Johnson Linwood bypass, yeah. uh, as single carriageway, so yeah. Even in the 80s and the 90s, that was still yeah, factor, I think, you know. Yeah. 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 All right. There you go. I've got nothing more to say. I think I've said everything I need to say Neither on this. Do I? Well, we'll have, um, <laughs> listen, it, it's, been, it's been good, Stuart. So you've, you've clearly, you know, got got this condensed. It was a massive oh, amount of information you've had to condense yeah. into that. I mean, that. you could talk about these reports for days with the yeah. amount of information that's in them, especially the later ones that really are quite fascinating. I mean, there's schemes in, the, in some of the later volumes, like the one that always fascinates me, the Bells Hill Mother Will Wisher Expressway, being a Lanarkshire guy, yeah. um, the Wisher Link to the M74, you know, to replace Gary and Bridge. That really fascinates me. I'd love to get into the detail of some of those. Maybe someday we will. What the sad thing is with these is is that these small schemes that you talk about, sometimes they're just a paragraph. That's all yeah, we know. Yeah. We don't know there aren't mm -hmm. any maps or anything, just things that are kind of mooted at the time. And, but, yeah. and that was the thing, of course, that from the Scottish office point of view, and I will finish on this point, Okay. to the Scottish office who were looking to fund it, when the money started to dry up, they then started prioritising schemes of national importance and left the local authorities to get on with the schemes of regional importance. Whereas prior to 1975, the Scottish Office would have given grant assistance to any schemes. So yeah. like like the Wisher Motherwell Bells Hill Expressway is only of regional or local well, importance. It's local importance. And then so, they would given, yeah. So if it'd be 1972, they would probably get a 75% grant for it. But when the money dried up, it was never going to happen, so the local authority would need to have funded it itself, and that's why most of these schemes never happened. It wasn't that they were ever cancelled, it was just that they were simply unaffordable to the local authorities. That's what it often comes down yeah. to. I'm yeah, afraid. and there's so many uh, schemes and plans in, within GGTS that are, you know, yeah. fell victim of that, you know. Yeah, the purse strings, mm -hmm. indeed. So yeah. anyway, I, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Um, God, I think we've got about 50-odd now that are available um, via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and, and, and the like. If you do enjoy them, remember to leave us a, a rating and, and tell people what you think. It's always good to get new followers. And hello to any of the hundreds or so of new followers that have joined us since July. <laughs> yep, hello. And also, let's talk about social media, because it's been me that's been doing it the last couple of weeks. Oh, yes. That's why it's been really good. <laughs> um, I, I don't know who's up on the rotor next after me, but please go and check us out on Facebook. Have a, have a look at Instagram as well. And we're, of course, on Twitter, where we're sharing all of these things that we speak about. So give us a like. Give yes. us, get in touch on and, that. And the website does continue to, to develop as well. Things have been a bit slow the last few months because we've been digitizing like mad in the background. It's It's been very hands-on, actually, mm -hmm. with the, the motorway stuff because of the, the digitizing and moving yep. stuff about. It's not much time for that. And lots of new records that we've, that yes. we've received as well that will be, yep. all will be revealed soon. So, yeah, we'll get back to the website soon. And there are some other big things coming up as well that we'll tell you about in the time. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. so Looking forward to it. On that note, goodbye for now. <laughs> goodbye. Thank you. <laughs>